Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a live show of the Saturday Morning D&D Show here, the last uh, weekend of February 2021. Can't my name it. is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. How's it going? Hello. I've got two thumbs, and I'm here. Oh, so fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's weird when you're at somewhere and they're like, who's got three thumbs and is here? And you're yeah. like, what? And then, you yeah. know, the monster eats I envy them, the three so. thumb pigment, though. I mean, three <laughs> thumbs. Could you imagine what you could get done? Uh, so no, I, because I don't really know <laughs> what you would do with three thumbs. But there you go. Uh, welcome. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. There is uh, things happening in the D&D world. Big things that are probably going to like change a lot of stuff. So, uh, yeah, welcome, uh, Steve Lee. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, we got lots of really awesome people in chat. Always excited to have you. And if you are listening on the podcast, that is awesome and completely fine. But if you do want to catch us live, we're live on Twitch and YouTube uh, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern. Um, and we we just chat for an hour, and it's a lot of fun. And you can interact with us in chat and ask questions. And if we see it and think it's cool, we'll talk about it. But... Van Richten, Lucian. Wow, the big. You're just gonna go right for the big. Yeah, we gotta just start. We gotta start big, and then people can stop listening after that. So, <laughs> um, no. So uh, we we kind of heard rumors that they were gonna make uh, older campaign settings and bring them back. I was for sure like it's gonna be Dragonlance because mm -hmm. Dragonlance has just been in the news, and we might still get a Dragonlance book. I'm actually I I would put money on it if I if I was a betting man, but I am not. <laughs> um, but we have a Ravenloft campaign setting for fifth edition, uh, and it's called Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft. It's going to come out, uh, May something, May 18th. May 18th. Um, and so tell what do you know about Ravenloft? Have you played a Ravenloft game? Have you played Curse of Strahd? I have not. I've heard lots and lots about it. We have talked about the whole setting and you've read through the book and we've had friends that have played through it. So I've caught a few things mm -hmm. here, there people talking about it, but um, I know it's just basically like D and D had to have a vampire type setting because back in the day, the only game that came close, I think in popularity to really taken D and D on was vampire, the masquerade. There mm -hmm. was a huge, huge communities of live play role, play action on vampire, the masquerade and, and games being played and people getting together and costuming it up and playing. I think that game had a gigantic community chance to really kind of take D and D on back in the day. So I knew they would have something. And to me, that's what Ravenloft really is. It's like, Hey guys, we also have our vampire setting too. Yeah. And uh, I think they turned it, you know, Barovia is kind of cool and um, it's interesting, but I've only done it from the periphery. I know about it. I've mm -hmm. heard about it. I've talked about it. I've, you know, I've talked with players who's got to play it. People ran it, but me, myself, I have not dived in. Yeah. It was not a, a genre that I was into as much. I think I like the fantasy more. Not that I wouldn't try it out at some point, but um, well, and it 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 it's like fantasy adjacent, I guess you know. Yeah. Like I think that's kind of fun, but but no, it it uh, I think Vampire the Masquerade really speaks to just the popularity of this gothic horror setting. Um, mm -hmm. Not not specifically, hello dog. Not specifically <laughs> with just uh, Vampire the Masquerade or vampires in general, but like when Ravenloft came out they were playing it. And then like the next Halloween, people love Halloween and things like that. I love Halloween where it's like, Oh, you, let's play that spooky one again. And so <laughs> it became known as Ravenloft because the people that would play 
this like Strahd game, we're like, are we going to play that like Ravenloft game again? And so it was just kind of like, well, we could expand upon this, you know, and Ravenloft was so popular, the original Isex module that it spawned a sequel. And then I think it was three or four years after that, they made the whole campaign setting. So like you could play in this world. Um, and back in the day, campaign settings really were just a, uh, here's a different way to play. And then I think as TSR moved on, there was a big push to have them all be intertwined and things like that. And that's where the lore gets kind of weird because like by fourth mm -hmm. edition, they're like Barovia's in the Shadowfell and all this other stuff when really it was like, no, it's just a, a weird, mysterious place that you don't know of. Uh, but I, I kind of like how they expanded upon it. And specifically, Ravenloft is the name of the campaign setting, which is also the name of the castle where Strahd the Vampire lives in Barovia. But Barovia is known as a domain of dread. Mm -hmm. And it's this isolated demiplane pocket. But next to it are other domains of dread. And like this one is run by a lich. And they all have these weird, evil, overarching characters like Straw the Vampire. Mm -hmm. But right. it'll be like, uh, like a Frankenstein monster or a hag or a lich or an undead this or something like that. So if you're into this kind of stuff, it... It, this is going to be a cool book because the Domains of Dread had a whole bunch of uh, really cool villains, really cool uh, mechanics that changed D&D because they knew if you just went into Barovia with uh, a paladin's detect evil, you're going to walk into town and be like, you're good, you're bad, you're bad. <laughs> and so uh, I liked that they took a lot of those... Um, mechanics and flipped them upside down so now all of a sudden the paladin's like but this used to work in forgotten realms they're like doesn't work here buddy and or it's feeding you misinformation or something uh mm -hmm. in the original guide uh or campaign setting there's a whole bunch of like here's how cleric spells work some of them don't and i like that so i i was and i haven't talked about this with you but i think the new direction for fifth edition is going to be like here is a campaign setting with a whole bunch of alternate rules to allow you to play D&D again and have it feel refreshing. Because it's like, oh, all of a sudden, um, yeah. as a player and a DM, like, these spells don't work, and I can't do this, and I can't astral project, and there's no, there's no plane of whatever. I can't get out of here. And so you have, like, different objectives as a, uh, a game master and a role player. So mm -hmm. um, going to be really cool. One of the things that I thought was the best is that they're going to have a framework so you can build your own domain of dread. Your own domain of dread. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, rules to create your own, yeah. which I think was really smart. So I like that because, uh, and they're adding new ones because before there was like 12 or 13, but I think they said there's going to be 30. Mm -hmm. And there's also going to be uh, ways for you to create your own. And that's the best part. Like if you're like, I love this Ravenloft thing, but I wish I had the tools to make my own thing. Yeah. Uh, and it, I don't know, we need more of that. Like, like, uh, mm -hmm. here's Planescape, but here are the rules to build your own plane of existence, or here's your rules to build your own deity and things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So really focus on the creative aspect for Dungeon Masters. I would like that. Yeah. So like a setting book, subclass book, how to create your own setting that's similar, Domains mm -hmm. of Dread, another domain. Um, I thought I also saw something there like dark gifts, maybe a yeah, so set of rules for yeah. dark gifts and stuff. So some, some other, something stuff that has a benefit, but also like, yeah, like yeah. you're super strong, but you have to drink the blood of people. Mm -hmm. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. 
So what I like about that is is that it's more mechanics that if you want or you felt like you were missing and you mm-hmm. you needed them for your game that you're playing, you know, maybe this is what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for this setting that um, would help you do that. 30, 30 of them in there, which seems like a yeah. lot. So it seems like it could be a pretty big book. Lots, I'm sure. What? How much do you know about Van Richten? Because that one came out of, like, all the names I've heard up until now have been names I've heard in various times throughout the D&D yeah. lore. And, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, and they've always popped up here or there. Um, and we haven't still got a Vecna's. We need a Vecna's book. But cool. jumping back, how much do you know about Van Richten? I, I hadn't heard that name before. Yeah, so Van Richten is the... Uh the Van Helsing of the Ravenloft series. Okay. He is Dr. Rudolph Van Richten, um, and he's a vampire hunter, uh, and he's in Barovia trying to kill Strahd for, for whatever reasons. And I, I'm, he's in Curse of Strahd, I think, like, spoilers. But okay. uh, he's an older guy, and yeah, he's just... Uh, he's he's our he, Van Helsing. He is, the, he is Dr. That. or Professor gotcha. Van Helsing, the older, not the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing, but like the yeah. older one. In but the he's kind of like the monster hunter yeah. kind of guy. The yeah. he, we, We've written down books, or here's the the methods that you should take these creatures of the night on kind yeah. of thing. And he's, okay, he's, a, he's a good guy, and he's there to yeah. assist the players and help them understand vampires. So right. that's who Van Richten is. Yeah, Ru- Dr. Rudolph Van Richten. What do you think about the covers they've shown so far? I don't like the alternate cover. Oh, the, okay. The, but you always like the regular anyway. The regular cover is fine. It didn't blow me away, but I was like, okay, it's got the same aesthetic feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me bring up the other one. I need to just look at it so I understand <laughs> what I don't like about it. Um, no, so, well, okay, let me find I it. I feel like it's a lot like Tasha's in a way. The it Tasha's is. Tasha's alternate, it is. which is up right there. Yeah. Um, and I can agree with that. Uh, I am downloading. Do some cover if it works. Oh, I have to do it this way. Okay, this is becoming annoying. Oh, Cyberwolf is saying while you're grabbing that, uh, you can already get some dark gifts in the dungeons in the Curse of Strahd. Spoilers if you guys aren't playing that. So he's interested to see how they might be incorporating the rules of it. Are they expanding or is it just a cut and paste over? I bet they expand them to make them. Because oh, sure. the way yeah. it was described in the the little blurb I saw was like, you remember how we used the the piety system in our other book? Uh-huh. Now we're going to do this with dark gifts. So it sounds like maybe it might be an expansion of some of that. Hopefully, yeah. Um. So I th- it's I think it's Esmeralda that's on the cover of the alternate cover. Um. And I'm trying to. Yeah. I think it's the colors. I think it's the bright pinks. The pinks and purples and, and the reds. Uh, I'm fine with purple, but even the ravens are pink. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if it was just kind of a the idea. I don't know. Like I, I but you're right. Like Strahd in the background. There's a werewolf. There's a zombie. Like all of that is really cool. Mm-hmm. And she's front and center, and that's awesome. Um, but I I think it's just the fact that it's very pink, and I don't. I wanted it to be more purple Gothic dark tones. Or- yeah. But at the same time, they don't want it to just sit next to Curse of Strahd and look exactly yeah. like you want Bram Stroker. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be darkness, not bright, yeah. not not cheery. So, I mean, very, very good art. I just I don't know. Yeah. Like, but it's funny that you mentioned the Tasha's cover because I loved that one. And I actually yeah. wanted I want to get that as a print and put it on my wall. Like, I just think that mm-hmm. art is really cool with uh Grazit behind her and her big like. I like cauldron. that one, but I I also like all the hydro stuff. I wish I at wish, some yeah. point I could get all of hydro on my wall 
him doing all those covers as, as like you said, as Prince would be super cool. No, uh, for sure. And it's surprising to me. I guess I want everything to be uniform. Uh, so when Hydro was making those covers, like I wish they would have just stuck with that artist and he did all of the alternate covers. So if you had the whole alternate cover collection, they all matched, but that mm. is not what happened. <laughs> so yeah. the only well, one I, I severely didn't like was the salt marsh one, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of this, uh, Van Richter's one. I, yeah. I felt like I disagreed on the salt marsh one with you too, but Sometimes those books will look a little bit different, though, in their um, pictures versus when you get them in your hand because of the material mm -hmm. and the texture of some of those covers they're creating. And I've seen some of them pop more or not be as good. Like a lot of people, I, I didn't, when I, my Mordecanians, I thought the screenshots that people took of it were just okay. But when I finally got it in my hand, I was like, oh, this is really cool, the yeah. alternate cover. I liked it more when I saw it in person okay. versus when I saw it on the screen. Um, so maybe that'll be one of them, just depending on what kind of material and what type of textured feel mm -hmm. they're going to give to that one. Because sometimes they can change, you know, sometimes it's just like a, most of them feel like gloss cardboard, right? And then, but the the special ones always have some, something cool about holding that book. Yeah. So there's probably a whole industry in that of like different ways you can texture the, the front covers of books and stuff. Oh, I'm so. sure. And like people buy <laughs> based on a cover nine times out of 10, you know? So yeah. Um, so. Yeah, Shazam right, said well, that so. second edition actually had a whole bunch of series of Van Richten guides. It would okay. be like Van Richten's guide to hags or to monsters or something like that. I must have um, missed so that. So he's that. he's a I'll character and and he's out there. Yeah, I think White Wolf. I'm still doing a lot of research for Wednesday's video, which is going to be another Ravenloft video. But from what I was reading, TSR or Wizards of the Coast, one of them uh, outsourced their Ravenloft world building to White Wolf, which made uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And they, they made a bunch of, of third-party supplements to help expand the lore of uh, Barovia. So, Yeah, yeah. White Wolf were the, just the, they kind of owned that vampire world and they made a really cool, compelling vampire world. And and then with their further expansions of werewolf and some other things yeah. that went on to that, and it's still going strong. You want to talk about the, lore, like yeah, you think Forgotten Realms has lore? Start getting into <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Like there are clans and vampires yeah. and lineages and actual plays that became canon. And like, and my son is screaming. It's just because wonderful. he loves it so much. He's so excited about vampires. <laughs> yeah. So of the so we get Candle Keep like in a week mm -hmm. or or a little two weeks, more, yeah. maybe two weeks. <clears throat> And then we're going to get Van Richten, so we already know that one. Which one's going to be your favorite at this point? I think I know, but... Oh, I think the Ravenloft one for sure. Like, uh, yeah. Candlekeep, Candlekeep will be fun. And speaking of that, we'll we'll jump into Candlekeep info. So, uh, Candlekeep comes out March 15th, 14th, 16th? Something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and if you guys uh, are... are uh, it, well, so, uh, Dragon Plus. Do you read Dragon Plus Solution? I love Dragon Plus. I read all of it today, and if of the of the um, um, versions of it, <laughs> there are issues of the issues that are out at the moment. I think this is one of the better ones for just getting information about what's coming up and, and the things that have been announced. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't as good, but this one I felt was really good. So if you haven't read Dragon Plus previously, definitely at least go look at this issue because I think they did a good job on this one. Yeah. Yeah, and they did. Uh, it's lots of so they they went through every author 
that wrote mm-hmm. a specific adventure and they're calling the adventures books because I think you yeah. are in the library and you open a book and you get sucked in or something and something yeah. like that happens. But uh, so it goes through like everybody's kind of like idea behind it and they look mm-hmm. fun. Like, don't get me wrong. A lot of them deal with uh, detectives and stuff, which kind of mysteries, candle keep mysteries. So I think it's going to be like a, a fun twist on stuff, but uh, it'll be, it'll be good. I, I, you know, it's one of those where I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like I like anthologies like this because you get a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily buy. Like, I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I like, I like this author and I like Amy Vorpal and I like that. So I'll buy it or I'll buy their stuff. But this way you're getting a bunch of stuff from authors that maybe you didn't know. And it's kind of fun to just read anthologies. Um, I still haven't pre-ordered this though. Like I feel, uh, I, f- I think I'm going to get it on D&D Beyond or it's going to be shared with me by one of my many friends who buy everything on D&D Beyond and I'll mm-hmm. probably read it there and then from there uh, decide if I want a hard copy or not. But but I was like that with uh, Theros and stuff. I ended up picking those up later on Super Sale. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some that I want day of. They just grab me and I'm yeah, just like, yeah. you know, I and want to Oh, of. the book came out. You go read it. And there's it. other ones I might pick up a week or two later or even maybe after a month and they go on a, a small sale or something. Mm-hmm. And I might pick some of those up if I don't think I'm going to be using them, you know, too much. Like I was thinking about that um, just before we started our show, which was they've started out the year 2021 with two books that I'm not necessarily super interested in. I'm glad that they're coming out because mm-hmm. I know there's lots of people that are going to love them but they don't necessarily fit into what I want in a book. Um, so I'm still waiting for Lucian's book for 2021, the one that's going to grab me because we, we nailed it last year, like at the very end of the year, getting Tasha's was awesome. You know, getting, mm-hmm. starting the year out with um, a magic to gathering setting was awesome for me. So that last year was really good for books of the ones that were out that I loved. Um, this year started slow for me so far. So, so I'm hoping maybe the latter announcements are going to be things that are just going to, you know, blow my mind. I'm hoping maybe, maybe a last minute spell jammer at the end would just make my day. But, yeah. <laughs> but for you, this seems like a pretty good year so far. These are yeah. a couple of books. I mean, I know you've done some mystery stuff. You like to mix your adventures up with combat stuff, but also not, not combat focused kind of. Um, well, stuff yeah. Like I, I like that there's something to figure out. I think in a lot of my games, you know, and whether that's like who's really pulling the strings or Mm -hmm. literally a a riddle, you know, they're fun. Yeah. So, and the idea that you now are going to about to have, you know, 30, 30 different areas of dread to send your players to as they try to get back home. I know that's going to be big for you. I wonder, I, the, the, I wrote this on our discord uh, for those that should come and join us on where we do a lot of talking about all the stuff that gets announced. Um, one interesting thing for me is when the beginning of Salt Marsh, because Salt Marsh was a collection of Greyhawk um, adventures, but they definitely made sure in the beginning of that book to say this can be set right in Forgotten Realms. This can be set in your own campaign. Yeah. This can be set in Greyhawk if you want to stay in Greyhawk. You know, they they really opened up how don't feel like because these were Greyhawk adventures, you only can do this in a Greyhawk world. So I wonder with these domains of dread, we're starting to get our first except for descent into Avernus. So we've got the, you know, the planes of the hells were starting to be explained to us a little bit. This is the next kind of thing, big thing being described to us, what these domains are, how they fit in the world. How are mm-hmm. they fit in forgotten realms? How do they, you know, I can decide how they fit into my campaign or 
where'd they come from? Did these domains of dread come from other settings? Did some mm. of them come from a Greyhawk? Did some of them come from other supplements that were part of Dark Sun or, or any of these other things? Did those things touch on that? I wonder if in this book, in the beginning, we learn a little bit about that. So I'm super interested in reading that first chapter about how they talk about fitting this book into running stuff to see how they start to talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. Are we finally getting the planes jumping that we want or the, can we get into planescape or do we finally get to sigil or do we finally get, you know, do we, can we go to these places? Is this the book that, that jumps us there? Yeah, Um, I actually, I had a, um, so uh, part of my patron tier, the, the highest level tiers, we have like a monthly hangout. And so we had a hangout last night because it was the end of the month. And uh, we were all speculating about like, well, what's the other campaign setting going to be? And, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the Magic the Gathering settings, with Ravenloft being a setting and with Eberron and like with them coming out with some more settings this year, um, I think the capstone is going to be Planescape. And it's going to be like, I don't know, like the Lady of Pain's walkthrough of Sigil is going to be the name of the book. And it's going to be either a big city book about Sigil and the worlds, the different planes that you can go to. But Sigil is the city of doors. And if they mm-hmm. make that the final, not the final book, but like the general hub where mm-hmm. all doors lead to Sigil, you can go there. From there, you can go to Eberron. You can go to anywhere you, you want, you know? Yeah. And so it makes sense that that's probably going to be, which goes into what I think is going to be, Planescape will be the final book that we get. But it'll be... It'll be, a, or the set, the campaign setting that we get, but I think it'll be one of those, um, one of those books that is going to be Sigil centric, so mm-hmm. City of Doors. But yeah, I hope I I think that would be great because it's we've wanted to know how to get to other planes. I mean, I still want a Shadowfell, yeah, I do centric too. or a Feywild. I mean, a, a one that's combined with just an in depth look at, at at them really fleshing out Shadowfell mm-hmm. and, and the Feywild, what I think would be super cool. Um, a book that I feel like we're sorely missing because they, when they talk about it in little blurbs, it's so catching and it's so evocative yeah. that you just want more. And why don't we have a big 400 page book of, of just diving deep into those? I I'm surprised, but you know, I'll take what I can get. I know they have their big schedule. They have their stuff they're working on. It seems like we're not slowing down and, and wrapping things up. So I still don't see, you know, sixth edition on the, on the horizon yet. I haven't seen a hint of that yet. So it yeah. feels like we might have another year or two of just maybe settings books and more rule editions um, no, and ahead I, of us. And yeah. then maybe we finally get to maybe a, a sixth, a wrap up yeah. in the promotion of the whole new sixth edition. Maybe, yeah. But it still feels like it's a few years off. No. And I think uh, like Theros is a good example where I, the future really feels to me like here's a campaign setting with some modified rules to make it feel unique. And Theros was like that with the piety system and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then Ravenloft is going to be like that with like, oh, it's it's harder and healing hurts you and da da da. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to go further and further and further. And and then Forgotten Realms will never get an official campaign setting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Because could you imagine we had the books of the planes and we get a nice big two, three hundred book of Mechanicus. And here's a bunch of adventure. Yeah. Here's some subclasses. Here's some extra rules you can play. Because when you go to that plane, things are a tiny bit different. And then here's the rule for limbo or here's the rule for all these places and you could have nice books because right now a lot of that stuff's described in a few paragraphs and then moves on and i understand that because you let the dm really kind of mold that out but many of us like to just 
like to have really talented writers who've imagined this stuff and turn it into some canon for us to say, oh, good, just tell me about it so I can run it. I don't want to have to devise everything that happens in the domains of dread. Now I'm going to get a book that really gives me a big, big thing to pull from 30 different domains I can use. And here's the rules to make your own. That's the perfect kind of thing to have when I want to dive into the, if if I want to dive into domains of dread. But if, what if I want to dive into Feywild? Well, give me give me that big book of Feywild and then give me some rules that I can make mm-hmm. Feywild stuff. And now I'm super happy. Give me that Shadowfell and give me that ways to make Shadowfell stuff. And it's interesting because you know the Shadowfell and the Feywild were were uh, explored a lot in fourth edition, and mm-hmm. that is really the. Well, that and Dragonborn, I guess, but that's kind of like the only thing that really came out of fourth edition that stuck with fifth because sticks in people really liked the Raven Queen. They really Mm. liked the Shadowfell and the Feywild. And and it's weird that we haven't really expanded upon that. But there's been a couple of Unearthed Arcana. There's been some like Raven Queen Unearthed Arcana and stuff if you wanted her as a patron. So I bet they've been pl- playing around with it. It just hasn't been the right time to to do it, you know? Yeah, so. the Raven Queen's Book of Something or Grimoire or oh, something. Yeah. Oh, my Be God. Cool. Come on. So, uh, no, Take and fi- I wanted to say one more thing about this before we move on. Uh, specifically, Chris Perkins wrote one of the mysteries in Candlekeep yeah, Mysteries. Yeah, And I liked his blurb about it because he's like, well, I wrote this as a, as a, uh, how do you, <laughs> as an example to the other writers. And I remember when he went on Twitter a long time ago and he's like, who are your favorite D&D writers? And people were tagged all over. And mm-hmm. he used that list to reach out to people to find them and that, and then worked with this team to create Candlekeep Mysteries. Uh, but he never intended to publish this adventure that he wrote. But then he was like, well, I mean, I guess we need a level three adventure. Kind of fits. And so he, he like put it in. But um, I don't know. It's just the funny thing that like Chris wrote a whole adventure just to be like, this is kind of what we're looking for uh, with no intention of really to publish it. But uh, yeah, it was really funny. Yeah. There's a good list of them without spoiling too much in that dragon plus uh, magazine issue for this, this month also. So y- you can see all the different, I mean, cause Mark Holmes is in there. Um, we saw you, Amy Vorpal was one of them that I saw. Uh, Kiana was in there. She wrote one. Daniel Kwan. Yeah. Uh, lots Daniel of cool Kwan wrote From the one. community. Lots of cool people. Yeah. So. Um, so there was lots of names I recognized, but then there were new names I hadn't recognized at all, which was really cool too. So it'll be interesting. You can find somebody that, you know, you kind of agree with or like or, you know, subscribe to mm-hmm. in their Twitter accounts or whatever. And then all of a sudden now they have a cool adventure in a, in a D&D book. So that's kind of cool. Uh, real quick, uh, we haven't been playing Adventure League for a long time, and because of the virus, I don't really know a lot of people that have been playing Adventure League, but Uh. they're (laughs) removing the PHB plus one rule. So for the longest time, if you wanted to play in Adventure League, you could use the Player's Handbook plus one Mm -hmm. other supplement, which really hindered you if you were a spellcaster or searching for specific feats that you couldn't get you know, or races or anything like that. And so uh, they're, they're changing that up that you can now use Tasha's Mordenkainen, Xanathar's Volos and the PHB um, and the Sword Coast Adventures guide. Those are all like legal. So yeah, legal thing. Yeah. And that makes sense because if you can't, if you have to pick between Tasha's or yeah. 
Xanathars. You're just stuck sometimes because there's so many cool subclasses in there. Or but even then you might want to use package a cool and stuff. Race. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and Eberron. Okay, yeah. So it's they're all just lumped together now. So I bet yeah. you'll have like we're gonna use the rules from Ravenloft, but you can play any character from that. So so if you're interested in Adventure League, uh, when the virus goes away, there will be uh, a lot more options for you as a character. Yeah. Or as a, yeah. uh, the, the thing I liked for me, uh, my Aarakocra finally gets unbanned. At, if you play level five or up in that tier, Aarakocra is a, a, an approved race at this point. They, they were taking off oh, the races the that had flight yeah. at first level. And they didn't want them in the game. So they've been banned from the games for, for a while. So I'm glad because I, I love my Aarakocra, you know, fighter cleric right now. It's yeah. just so good. So fun. Come Super on. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then here. So the other big news uh, with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast is Hasbro had a big meeting, um, a shareholder meeting thing where they announced like their future of Hasbro. And remember when we were talking about, like, what are they getting rid of Wizards of the Coast? Like, what's happening? Well, we were dumb. Or I was dumb, I should say. Because yeah. Wizards of the Coast, their profits have done very well in the realm of COVID. So mm-hmm. uh, despite, you know, profits being down for a lot of other companies, they actually did a lot better. To the point now where Hasbro has promoted them to a separate operating division of Hasbro. Mm-hmm. So they're going to divide Hasbro into three is what I was seeing. Um, still one company, but like Wizards of the Coast is in charge of not only Magic the Gathering and D&D, but uh, licensing their intellectual property to other companies. Mm-hmm. And this was big because it's basically like a promotion for Wizards of the Coast to say, you're doing great, make more content. And so not only are they going to make more D&D stuff, they're going to work on their their own or they're going to work on new intellectual property that mm-hmm. they will then use for board games and then license out for video games and all this other stuff. But the, the, what I thought was really cool is they're like, we're going to make a D and D movie, which we have been known like Chris Pine is attached to it and things like that, but mm-hmm. a D and D TV show and a magic, the gathering movie and a clue TV show, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so lots of crazy stuff happening there. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought I saw um, I feel like it was Ted that did a deep dive into that. Like he listened to every minute of the board meeting and like he was really mm-hmm. involved. You know, he's he's been really searching it out <clears throat> because we've always been wondering if somebody was going to come in and try to buy that out from them, thinking maybe, you know, it wasn't doing well. So this is a good time to come in and buy it. But no, if it's skyrocketing, I mean, the only the only juggernaut that's going to come in and buy something like that is probably Disney. But yeah, we were all point, joking that you know? <laughs> Disney was going to buy Wizards yeah. of the Coast at some point. So, and we saw the new logo that came out. So they had a new logo that they kind of that they showed off, which I think it would be the logo that gets attached to the things that you just talked about, like the shows, the movies, yeah. um, maybe some new intellectual property that's coming out. And I think that's great. Imagine being in that company right now. And you're part of that creative team that's just been given the go ahead to say, you know what, you guys did fantastic during a pandemic, world pandemic. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. We're le- we're no more reins are on you. No more, no more chains. No yeah. more. You guys go do your thing and really, yeah. really do it. Yeah, because like, oh, it's like you're doing a good job. Time. Just keep doing that. So yeah, do more. Which <laughs> I'm excited for more like D and D centric video games you know it'll be it'll be yeah. cool not just the boulders gate threes but like they're doing that dark alliance 
But like a lot yeah, of those I could characters see a Diablo would be style, really fun. Yeah. An MMO would smash, you know, if they've created one of those. A Forgotten Realm MMO would be so good. It'd be, yeah, that would be really interesting. And, and that would be really popular, I think. Uh, uh, and then I, we're not a Magic the Gathering podcast, obviously, but I thought this was interesting I that they're know. doing <laughs> Magic the Gathering is doing a bunch of crossovers and mm-hmm. specifically they've gotten properties of Lord of the Rings and Warhammer. And if I'm remembering correctly, they've done these crossovers already with like, uh, what's the zombie show? Uh, Walking Dead. And yeah. you had like Wizards of the Coast magic the gathering cards that were walking dead themed but it was the same game it's just you had zombies so the lord of the rings really fascinated me because i was like they don't just willy-nilly give that out usually <laughs> like mm-hmm. like uh the owners of the estate of tolkien is like uh well but yeah so. yeah i could i couldn't even imagine a warhammer D crossover event jeez that's bringing two communities that are that are crazy passionate yeah. about their worlds. And since, since the eighties, the tabletop gamers with a large world behind them and 40 K and Warhammer fantasy, mm-hmm. and then dungeons and dragons with all of their Greyhawks and forgotten realms and all of their books and all of the things they've spawned off. If those two things ever collided, my, my head would explode. <laughs> yeah. That'd be crazy. So yeah, they're going to do tabletop did and digital magic and D and D. Uh, gonna make some new intellectual property, which we know that they've been doing that in, in I think, Texas. They got like a, mm-hmm. a bunch of um, interesting people that were making things for yeah, Bioware or like something. That's where the studio was. Yeah. yeah, they put up some of the studio. And the whole idea was like, we're gonna make some new stuff. And then, yeah, it's the whole point is like licensing out their intellectual property to people that wanna make cool things. And so, I don't know, it would yes. be really cool. I mean, it is true. There is a MMO out there called Neverwinter Night, and it is no, it's M- just called Neverwinter. Technically, and it's not the best. but uh, I mean, maybe more on the line of uh, World of Warcraft or um, Guild Wars one or two. Yeah. Well, probably two is a better example. D and D online open world was, MMO. <laughs> yeah, D and D online was three point five rules, yeah. and uh, I think that that MMO is still kicking um, mm-hmm. to some extent. Uh, but I had fun with it. I was a little dwarf wizard. I'd jump off a cliff and cast Featherfall and like gently glide down. And that's all mm-hmm. I ever wanted to do in an <laughs> MMO with that kind of, yeah. uh, you know, is is cast fun spells like that. So Oh, I'm jealous. Cyberwolf's in Austin. Such a cool town. Austin is. You got cool some town. good gaming stores out there, Cyber. All uh, right. Well, and that's then cool. last but not least, there's Spawn of Cyclops Con, which is uh, the only reason right I want to say this is so that uh, Danimal can take a drink with our new. Uh, DCC emoji. (laughs) Drink it up. Uh, Which I'm really excited about (laughs) that I made the other day. You could use that in the Discord or if you are a subscriber on... uh, Let's get some DCC news up in here. Um, But yeah, they're having their Spawn of Cyclops Con, which is just another virtual con. But the cool thing is, is they made a virtual dealer's hall. So you can walk around with your little avatar. It's all 2D. But the mm-hmm. idea is that it's a big chat room, and when you get over to a dealer, you can see the chat of the people around you, and you can talk to other people and ask questions and then buy That's something cool from the idea. dealer. And when the fact that we haven't been able to do that in person for so long is that's really cool like we'll take that like really the, i the love point that that, yeah. that will take that I, just so we can have yes <laughs> i thought that was really really awesome so yeah. Because eventually you could do VR chat. I mean, once if VR got enough exposure out there, I know a lot of my, my friends have bought their kind of VR sets. I still haven't caught one. I'm 
got it on my list, my Christmas list at some mm. point. But that could be another cool route to go that where you're just making up virtual. Mm. Like if you recreated Gen Con's hall as a virtual 3D thing and you yeah. walked up and there's other people there talking about this. And then your wife you can put dirty socks under your nose. You're like, it's like, yeah, I'm actually this there. Is the, the smells, thing. all of it. <laughs> The, so good. the two week old sweater <laughs> <laughs> from the gym. Yeah. And then you have everything you need. But the idea that you can localize, I've seen this done in a couple of other games too, where proximity is deter de determinant on how, well, whose mic you can hear. So if you put like a radius and all of a sudden in a game where, you know, mm. I don't know, 50 yards apart, we can't hear each other. But the minute we get to 20 yards apart, we can start hearing each other's conversations. And that's kind of a cool idea, which would be perfectly implemented. Here's like what they've done. So that sounds cool. I'm going to go over there and check it out because it sounds like a really fun thing to take a look at. And, you know, these game companies have got to advertise somehow. This is the only way they can get the word out that they've got new products or we don't even, if we're subscribed to the people we like all the time, like Goodman Games and Wizards of the Coast, we get we understand the stuff they're doing, but what about those brand new game companies that are have started yeah. in 2020, or they decide to start their brand new company in 2021? How are we going to hear about them? You know, and these conventions, these type of um, gallery rooms, or ways for us to go and see their stuff would be the only way you would stumble onto somebody you hadn't heard of before. So, okay, yeah, I'm definitely heading over uh, after the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Mr. The Lucian, should we should we do uh, some College of Monsters? I think so. I think that that's this exciting? time, right? All right, let's boot up the random monster generator. I know boot this it is up. So fun for you guys. Plug it in. Move some wires. Get this thing going. Yeah. Uh, this is the most ridiculous, silly thing I've ever made. Is this <laughs> backdrop <laughs> fax machine noises? It's so dumb. Uh, oh, I, th I think it's done. Uh, let's generate a number. Two, 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 two is our number today. Two, two, two. That's an interesting number. Yeah. Two, two, two. So if you guys are new here, we're going to go through go the numbers. monster manual, and I pick a random page, which in this case is two, two, two. And today we're... Oh, we've already done this one. This is Mind Flares. Okay. Random. Did we? We must... How did we land on two, two, two before? Though? I don't know. I don't but I'm going to generate again. 280... But we love Mind Flayers. I do love Mind Flayers. 280. Uh, sphinxes. Ooh. 280 is sphinxes. I did not expect that. So let me uh, let me look up a sphinx. I don't think I've ever used a sphinx. No. Now that I think about it. Um, oh, I failed my search. And there's lots of different types, right? There's there's all kinds of yeah. weird name types of, of those. Sphinxes, Sphinx I, Sphinx, Sphinx. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, is. Yeah, you're, you're overthinking it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Egyptian lore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, make that a little bigger. All right, there's our Andro Sphinx. So, Sphinxes. Uh, in sacred isolation, Sphinx guards mm -hmm. secrets and treasures of the gods. Uh, they have wings, they are divine guardians. Um, they have secrets and mighty spells, artifacts, magical gateways. Um, yeah. Benign deities sometimes grant a sphinx the power to remove supplicants that fail their tests, transporting them away and ensuring that they never encounter the sphinx again. Yeah. So, like, guarding guardians. But we have a, a 
Geno Sphinx and an Andro Sphinx. And so today I think we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about Sphinxes, but those are our two Sphinxes. Yeah. And for some reason, those always remind me of Never Ending Story, and he has to walk between the statues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. That's what I always remember. That's like my iconic vision of those. But they're usually <laughs> something that's like at the beginning of a dungeon or in a room. And the only way to get through is you're going to have to solve a riddle. They're they're constantly used as a, a way to deliver a riddle before you can move on. And if you don't, this is a super powerful creature, you know, yeah, that you better solve 17. that riddle. You better solve that riddle because you're probably not taking this thing on in a fight. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I feel like they, they've shown up in a few of the... Was it Tomb of Annihilation that maybe had one, but we solved the riddle, so we moved past it? Or maybe it was a, one of the other adventures had one. And I think we were able to hmm. solve the riddle and move on, so it wasn't too bad. But Interestingly, they're monstrosities, and I would think that they're constructs, because I always think of, like, ah. like, the Sphinx, Egyptian Sphinx. But I guess you're right. Like, they're, they're, they're physical creatures. They have blood yeah. and stuff. So that's how most people use them as a way to deliver riddles to a party, mm-hmm. probably dungeon delving or temple delving or something. What are you thinking out of the box use, though? That's the easy way to do this. What's yeah. what's the out of the box way to use? So how would we incorporate a sphinx into a game? So what what if the players have been gifted a baby sphinx? And they know that in order to open the door to whatever magical thing they need, uh, MacGuffin, um, (laughs) Chekhov's MacGuffin, uh, that they will need to help the... Well, A, they have to keep this creature alive because it's tied magically to that gateway or door. And then through the whole... So the whole adventure is actually finding the question to the answer they know. Like, they know the answer to the riddle, but the, the baby Sphinx doesn't know the question that it's supposed to ask yet. And so you're trying to find, like, how do you do that? And how do you go about it? And that's kind of the whole quest is, like, maybe going into tombs and, and various uh, underground passageways and things to find, or, like, the top of a mountain, to find those old relic things so that they can it can be inspired and get the question that it's supposed to ask to fulfill its destiny oh, I like that so i don't know is that kind of weird that's yeah weird in my mind it's almost you're taking it backwards right so you're yeah. saying you know the answer your mission is to build the riddle yeah yeah that i guess now yeah so rpg dmca <laughs> just was like 42 he's like jordan you're doing hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and you're right i am i apologize yeah. but it works if you have to build the riddle and you know that the answer, you already know the answer, so you don't want it to be easy. You're giving the players the chance to do something they never get to do. How many which roads is, must a man walk down? Yeah, you would you would build a lot of these different things. And maybe you can't just say them. Maybe they have to be something you have to do in the world, like you said. So like mm. you can't just say, it exists in a mountaintop, but it's also under the mountain. Well, for you to have the power of that you have to go to the top of the mountain where it was and you have to go below the mountain where this thing is and then our our answer is this you know it's like Mm -hmm. you have to experience the parts of the riddle for them to have power yeah that and that's fun like that's and, and you could explain that to your players is like the sphinx that you're nurturing needs to have that aha moment 
you know? Like, it needs to, like, while you're, you know, raising it, you need to travel to the top of the mountain. It needs to understand Mm -hmm. that people age as the seasons change. So Mm -hmm. that fall means death, but you're reborn in spring, so that it understands those concepts. That would be a weird way to carry on a campaign but i like that because i haven't experienced something like that before you know it's very different where like there's a mechanical way to have an aha moment for a creature that you're trying to like teach i like that idea Mm -hmm. it's Mm kind of fun and just because uh quintus mentioned baby yoda Oh yeah. What if you had a baby sphinx and it was in a little yes. globe thing that floated behind that you? That is all the actually time. <laughs> baby Yoda. I love and everybody wants it because baby if they Yoda yeah, campaign. if they can get the sphinx then they can ultimately find this treasure. Yeah. Um that being, you know, force sensitivity yeah, through yeah. its blood, but Definitely yeah. make it a floating egg carrier oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's in yeah. for sure. <laughs> and it could be a sidekick. You could use those sidekick yeah. rules. In fact, and actually, like, as it gets bigger, it could do cool things for you. That'd be fun. I have a baby Yoda. I must have moved him. <laughs> he wasn't right behind me. Such a good oh, I yeah, So I like it. I didn't I show like you that. this, uh, Lucian, but my uh, for Valentine's Day, my wife got me a shirt that says the Dadalorian. And it's yeah. the it's the font of the somewhere. Mandalorian. I, maybe I show yeah. a picture on somewhere. But yeah. Uh, and then yeah, but my son way. has a little baby Yoda in his like breast pocket of his <laughs> shirt. Nice. So we have matching shirts. It's really cool. Yeah, I think he should buy the stroller that just looks like oh my god, baby Yoda thing, and just be. And while I'm at it, why don't I just in? permanently dye my son green? Like <laughs> I don't understand, it. guys. <laughs> Ear implants, it'll be great. He'll love it. Make his eyes really big. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Uh, well, what? Yeah, so that's a fun idea. I mean, do you have another one? Wow, you, you knocked it out of the park. Well, yeah, that oh, was yeah, like sorry. I'm, I can't even <laughs> think of something that was so good that was like. It's my mind's blank. It's only thinking about your out of the box um, version of it. Taking the riddle backwards. How would I go out of the box with a Sphinx? I feel like the only thing I want to do that's super cool is I want to bring that imagery in of that never ending story (laughs) because that, that scene of the night riding through and then getting blown up by laser eyes from the, the the statues that are Sphinx like. Yeah. Um, And then our, Atreyu has to figure his way out because you can't just get through. You know, there's something else you that has to, to you have happen. You have to be brave or something. And it's a yeah. courage. Yeah, it's like a test of courage in a way. Um, I th- always thought that stuck with me for a very, very long time. I don't know how you put that into a, a role-playing game where you can just say my character is brave and they, you know, but what's the true test of that? What's the true? Uh, I think the true test is the is a Dom Jabor DC. where you put your hand in the thing and it hurts. Yes. Let's go to Flash um, Gordon right away. Uh, yeah, know. well, that's Dune, but okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I was thinking of the one where they put it in the uh, the, the, the the log. It was um, Flash and I forget the guy in green's name. Mm. They were putting their hands in the log and then whoever, whoever lost <laughs> was how you lost that game. But I like your Dune reference too. That's another. Um, one. I don't know. Like, uh, it could. It, I guess we're focused on riddles, but it it could be just yeah. like how do we get a, off riddles? A, a magical guardian that. Um, you what know, if it's like doddering and it's like forgetful and it's comedic character, mm-hmm. and it's a patron maybe of the group, and it has them do things, but play them as a comedic relief. Um, kind of character like the the absent-minded professor 
kind of character and they interact with him because he sends them on all kinds of crazy stuff and then forgets why he sent them there. Or he, the thing you're going to get sounds super important, but then it's just like an ingredient he wanted to put in his breakfast. But then other times <laughs> he sends you to go get a, something that doesn't sound important at all. And you find out that it stops, you know, the great war from happening mm-hmm. or whatever. And you never know what this guy, like you just never can quite guess. So as a fun character for a GM to flesh out in this, in this weird, quirky way, in a comedic act ink style campaign, I could see that'd be cool. Like he'd have little, maybe he's balding and he's got glasses and he's just, you know, just a forgetful professor. I think that could be a fun, but he's a Sphinx. So that's kind of a cool 17th level. Yeah. Nathan CMR. says, uh, the Sphinx has amnesia and can't remember the riddle you're supposed to answer. There Seems you like go. That. Now you're in trouble. <laughs> but even if you get away from the riddles and stuff, you know, what is a Sphinx life like? What do they do? What are they, uh, you know, besides just being guardians of rooms and stuff, mm-hmm. um, what's a Sphinx convention look like? You know, do they all get together and do they share riddles or do they not? Do they leave that work. Yeah. You know, they leave that at the office. They let their hair down <laughs> and they go and do other stuff, you know, like, could you play, play on something like that where it's make it more of like an office episode <laughs> where it's very mundane and very very clinical very corporate in some way um i might try to go that route to to bring them out because there's such a i think when you players have such an idea of what they're supposed to be this gives you a chance to play on they're not that at all like you can really go oh i know what you think they're supposed to be and i'm gonna i'm gonna flip it i'm gonna yeah. move it i'm gonna take it away from you you have no idea what Sphinx, the Sphinx is all about in this campaign. Kind of I think I, I did that for the Rakshasa, which is the, the tiger-fiend yeah. creatures in my yeah. Rod of Seven Parts game. Yeah. Because they were they were built up that this evil Rakshasa is like like living in a den of, of vampires and undead and all this mm-hmm. weird stuff. And then when they actually find him, they found a coffin, and he like rises up from the coffin and goes like, blah, and they're just like, ah, and he's like, oh, not scary enough? Let me try again. And so the Rakshasa goes back down and like, yeah. yeah. And they were like, yeah, this yeah. is not the Rakshasa I was expecting. Yeah, this is not the one we thought we were supposed to have here. That's so funny. That might be a route I would go with it because cool. you could really play on the iconicness of it when the yeah. players see it, so. Uh, well, that's awesome. That's <coughs> Sphinx's. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. Now, we occasionally play games on uh, in our spare time. Rumors. And uh, Lucian is currently going down a mage dungeon of madness. What's what's happening there, sir? In your it's big. Game? Yeah, <clears throat> I think we're game. about to be done with level four. We're fighting um, a pretty maybe a boss end level. I won't spoil it for any of you that are doing it. Um, it feels like a tough fight in the moment. Um, we went through that round. You ever have this in your while you're running a game or playing a game? You got a big fight. You're at the big fight. You're at the big kind of end of the thing. <laughs> and all of us roll initiative and initiative's not going great. Like all the rolls are kind of low, mm. which is starting to tell you, wait a minute, something's not going to go well here. And then everybody takes their first turn and everybody misses. <laughs> We're powerful cre- players at this point. We have powerful abilities but they all miss in a row sometimes and everything was missing. And so we got a whole round of, we did nothing. (laughs) So then you end your, your night and you're thinking, Oh my God, we got to come back to this battle. If our dice do not turn around at this point, and it's not because we didn't have good ideas or we didn't have the right abilities. We had everything we wanted. If all that stuff would have hit, 
we'd have been in a much better position. But everything just didn't happen, or they made all their saves, or we missed all of our attacks or whatever. We're going into this fight when our opening round salvo has totally misfired, and now what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, And what's interesting about that is because as a dungeon master, you will typically understand the strength of your party that you're running campaigns for. And at some point, you realize the good balance of what that is, and you know... I need to add a few more monsters to these guys because their paladin's really overpowered. And I gave them a magic item that was probably too good. Right. So I add a few things in here or there to make the module still feel challenging and stuff. And they're usually still good about it. And, but I'll add a few things in here. And then every now and then the dice betrays them. And you realize, oh, no, they're still weak flesh bags that can be destroyed <laughs> at any moment. You know? And you're like, uh-oh, should I have not added those extra creatures in because they're all of a sudden are in trouble. That's you know, or it's, or it's like you go against something that can paralyze one or two of your players right off and it hits and they're not able to get out of it, make their saves for a round or two so their normal well-working machine mm-hmm. that they are as a party just falls apart because all of a sudden... So that's what it feels like. That's what that... If you go back and you watch... Um, uh, I don't even know what episode it is at this point, but on Tuesday night's last Tuesday night game on Danimal's thing, it was like everything missed. We're fighting some really tough stuff. We can't afford to have things missing. We're pulling out the works to make this fight happen. And uh, it could go bad if our dice don't turn around. So it'll be interesting. I think when if we survive it, we'll probably get some downtime, go back up to the surface and then tackle level five, and there we go. We're what? We're one fourth of the way through it. There's twenty ish or plus more levels. Maybe only one fifth of the way <laughs> through this whole adventure. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we're talking about this a year from now. Mark it on your calendars, and we've just made it to level. Hey guys, we're delving into level twelve now, or the you know we're diving into the 13th level of the dungeon of the mad mage. Mm. So it's interesting. It's also, I want to talk about it more, but I also don't want to spoil it. I think once I, I get know. into the much higher levels where people probably don't stick with the campaign that long, cause yeah. nobody goes past like level 10 or 15 characters. Anyways, I think once we start there, I start, I might start talking about it more, Well, but I'm leaving the early levels alone. Let we, well, well let's have a conversation in the discord about it because uh, I would like to know. And yeah, I don't, necessarily think i'm going to i'm going to play it but like we could even say um guys here's a spoiler section because uh it's it's part of part of us talking about the games that we're playing is knowing like oh i was surprised that this happened you know you know what i'll do too is i'll make a i'll make a thing that pops up on the screen maybe me and jordan can work on this not necessarily in the next show or so but when we start to get to that point yeah We'll, we'll put a little banner up that says spoilers for Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yeah. So you can mute if you want to, and you can yeah. just let that piece go for and it's always the five at the end of the show. Minutes. So. Yeah, and then you could come back. We'll, we'll pull that banner down. So we'll have a banner if we're going to really spoil. Okay. I like so, it. Because I'd like to talk about some of this stuff. and Absolutely. Just because then we could talk about the thought behind the creation of it, yeah. what you think would happen versus... Would you change it as a dungeon master? Would you leave it in? Those kinds of which I think that's the reason nice. people want to listen to the show too. Yeah, for more part than of it, to, you know. to know how awesome Khan the, yeah. the fighter cleric is. The fighter cleric. But, yeah. No. <laughs> but what about Jordan? That was my only game. I'm down to just a game at the moment, which is feeling relaxing. Probably as the summer picks up, I might pick up another game here or there mm-hmm. um, to see if I want to start playing or start running again. I'm feeling like I'm getting close to wanting to run again. 
uh, job is handled. But what about Jordan, who usually plays a few more games throughout the week? No, I, I'm down to one game as well. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> and we are... Uh, so my my group decided to... We, you know, we finished the Josh A game. Yep, and Josh we A decided to try other RPGs. The, he's the super villain. Uh, if he's anybody super missed villain. Ah, oh, so cool. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now we played... Kids on Brooms, and that was a one-shot, and that was fun. And so last oh. week, we started a new game by Free League called uh, Vaisen. Vaisen. And Vaisen is a Scandinavian Nordic horror game. Uh, and so we are kind of like supernatural investigators. Uh-huh. And we are trying to investigate a mystery of uh, some missing persons that happened on, or su- suspicious deaths and things like that that have happened on this island. Uh, so we did a, a kind of a session zero and started the game. And the I guess mostly I want to talk about the system. So I'm I'm playing a I'm playing a young academic. And so when you build a character, you have young, middle-aged, or old. And then depending on that age, you have either more attribute points because you're young and you can like survive. Or you're, mm-hmm. you're older and you have more skill points because you've lived longer in the world and you can do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my character in uh, Vason is a young academic that then you have certain things that you pick to decide if they are, or like how they, how they can see these mythical, magical creatures. And mm-hmm. mine is that I was cursed by a mermaid to be old. So I look like a 50 or 60 year old man, but in actuality, I'm probably like 17. And it's been a fun, like just joke and we're going along with it and stuff. Uh, But the whole system is D6s and you roll a a number of D6s that are based on your skill and your, the attribute tied to that skill. Mm -hmm. And anytime you roll a six, that's a success. So depending on the number of successes, the DM will will give you more information, less information, or you will succeed at whatever you're trying to do. And it was weird because I was playing it. I'm like, this is so similar to a thing. Like, what is it similar to? And then last night I was, I'm trying to write an RPG using this open D6 system. And so I opened up uh, Tales from the Loop because I'm like, oh, that's a D6 system. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, this is exactly like Vason. And then it dawned on me that it's Free League. Free. And they're all yeah. using, like, that is that is the system they made. And now they're, they're yeah. building RPGs around it. So <laughs> it was really funny. But uh, Tales from the Loop is great. And so this is Love another Tales very similar, uh, or mechanically similar. But instead mm-hmm. of being like, I'm an 80s teen of this trope, you're... You know, I'm a I'm an academic, or I'm a, a werewolf hunter, or I'm this. Yeah, uh, a supernatural yeah. investigator of some yeah. sort. Yeah, very cool. And, the uh, book looks beautiful. It's the really beautiful. The book looks yeah. really. The good. art is amazing. It's really great. Uh, it has a it, it really invokes the the feel of it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So uh, with Vason, we're we're on our our research. We're going to play again tonight. I'm excited. Um, but mm-hmm. the combat was kind of interesting, and I I a lot of these games feel very story driven so it was weird that there was combat because uh, I well I, I shouldn't say it was weird I just wasn't expecting it mm-hmm. but our DM brought out you know all of the his his uh, uh, dungeon forge or I don't know he's got the, the actual walls and stuff so he right. built a little tavern um, but the way combat works is like you can move for, from one cube to an adjacent cube so it's not like I have five feet of movement. You literally can just kind of like reposition yourself as a movement action, but only so far. 
And then uh, there were some other things, but I don't have any, I didn't have any weapons because I'm just this like academic. So I tried to protect the person that we're protecting and we hid <laughs> under a bench. It was, it was prime role playing. It was really good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was really fun. So there's always a weapon in a tavern. Pick yeah. Up I'll have to pick up something or, or you can always <laughs> yeah. use your fists, but I'm not that yeah. strong. I'm an old man yeah. who's trapped in a, or a 17 year old kid trapped. In a yeah. I body. really, that you mentioned, I know we're close to our end here that, I'm really waiting for the game that has the in-depth combat mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons, but then has the story mechanics of the Tales from the Loop and the kids on bikes and the monster of the week. Those mechanics for the investigation and the talking with NPCs and the doing all the other stuff, the exploration. I'm waiting because it always seems like they, they lean heavy one way or the other. And I haven't seen the one that has the perfect mix of the two yet. So if you guys think you know of the game that has a perfect mix of non-combat mechanics, dice mechanics, not just us talking is not a mechanic. There's (laughs) mechanics to it. There's skills to it. Your character can do things. And then they also have a robust combat system that's not just simplified down. Let me know what that is because I'm looking for the perfect mix. It's it's hard uh, yeah. reading a lot of games recently because I've been trying to write this modular D6 game. Um, but it's 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 tough because and I, I guess we'll just say this and then we'll probably close out. But like if I am a GM that is focusing on combat, but we have this very robust system where you can do anything. What happens to the players that don't take the pro combat items? Right. You know, they build their character around being very all of this other stuff. And then and let's take D&D, for example, you jump into D&D, but your your wizard takes no attack spells and everything's yeah. like charm and investigation. Stuff. And and, yeah. and so in an actual fight, it's like, well, you're you're kind of worthless. You are really useful over here. But unfortunately, we're doing a lot of fighting. Uh, and, you know, I I want to push you towards Cypher and Numenera. Because I feel like that's kind of what you want. Like it has a good mixture of I like. I want to push yeah. you towards it. All right. <laughs> been reading I a lot of Numenera Cypher lately Numenera. too. It's been really yeah. Good. They do. I feel though Cipher did simplify combat a little more than I wanted, but oh, okay. it is very close to what I want. I want just a tiny bit more of tactical options than I get when I'm in Cipher. Um, it's close though. It's not that far yeah. off. But I, but I love all the investigative stuff and all the other stuff that comes with it. So you're absolutely right there for sure. Um, but I feel like I'm missing, I'm not getting the Pathfinder feel, the Warhammer fantasy roleplay feel, the Dungeons and Dragons. Those are the combat heavy ones that I love. I want those rules, but I also want in a nice, very narrative, robust system that D&D seems to lack. Pathfinder feels like it lacks warhammer fantasy roleplay feels like it lacks like the scholar doesn't have a place in those games because we're f- constantly fighting cultists and we need somebody who can punch cultists you know <laughs> but yeah so it'd be interesting i'm sure people have a lot of their ideas they can put them out in our comments or discord mm-hmm. and let us know yeah nathan recommends genesis fantasy role-playing system so what i've got a book for that called Terranoth, the genesis system you should probably read it Got the Genesis system yet, so maybe I'll look at that, Nathan. Right. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much for liking, subscribing, sharing all of your... Uh, sharing it with a friend. Just tweet about the show. It's awesome. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell tell people, like-minded people who might enjoy it. Uh, we will be back next week with more D&D news and talking about all kinds of games that we're playing, so we'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Boop.
Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.